Hi, Mamas. Today on the podcast, I dive into a conversation with Kay Scudder. She is the founder of The Millionaire Mother, a high school teacher turned multiple seven-figure business mentor for mother CEOs. She's a TEDx speaker. She has The Millionaire Mother podcast featured in Forbes, Fast Company, Business Insider. She's helped clients generate over 25 mil in collective revenue. She has two little ones under three and a half, and she has another one that is due in February. And in today's conversation, we dive into how she does all this, her template that she has created, which is so different from what we've seen in society and what us mothers have experienced. She talks about creating a new template to be able to run a multiple seven-figure company while truly living and enjoying life and enjoying her family and having time for herself. And I've just been following her for a while and I'm in awe of what she has created and how she has so much capacity to do all this. And one thing we really dive into is the foundation of support and how it makes everything she does possible. So in this episode, I think you will truly be inspired to up your level of support, to truly ask for what you want, to follow your desires, to get really clear in your partnership about how you can move the entire family forward to create long-term wealth and legacy. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Send me a message over on Instagram. Let me know what you think. And I hope you are enjoying this holiday season with your family. Hello and welcome to the Mama Culture. This is a place for you to be supported, inspired, and resourced on your unique journey through motherhood. I'm your host, Corey Zorns, a fellow mama, here to bring you information and wisdom on parenting, wellness, personal growth, and everything in between so you can thrive as a modern mama. So grab your favorite warm drink, settle in, and get ready for relatable, honest, and empowering conversations about the most important job in the world. This is the Mama Culture. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to be here on this call with you because I've heard so much from friends of mine in the Bali community who you have mentored and you used to live in Bali. And I've just been following your journey of running a multiple seven-figure business, your journey of mentoring mothers. And not only that, not only the business and what you do and what you make and how you've done it, but how you live as a mother. And I've been following just how your family life and homesteading, you homestead in Maine. And I'm so curious and so in awe of all of it and just the capacity that you have to hold all of this. So I'm so excited to learn so much from you. I just want to start off here. For those of you that don't know Kate, Kate, can you tell us? a bit about yourself and what your life looks like right now. For sure. Well, first of all, Corey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And as you mentioned, I am the founder and CEO of The Millionaire Mother. I am a multiple seven-figure business owner. I started my company seven years ago, actually, while I was living in Bali. My husband and I met there in 2015. I started my company in 2017. And We've grown it into a multiple seven-figure business over the last six and a half, nearly seven years now. And about three and a bit years ago, I became a mom. My daughter is three and a couple months, and it really changed everything for me on an identity level, on day-to-day rhythm level. 
I'm sure as all you mamas listening know, it really just reoriented and restructured my entire being. And I already had a very successful business at that point. And my inquiry from that moment forward was we have so many templates of success in the business world from obviously, hello, living in the patriarchy, men. We have a lot of examples in the online business world of maidens or women without children crushing it and making tons of money and doing that by having their work and their business be this like devotional expression of all of their creative energy. But where are the templates for mothers who don't have the luxury of pouring 100% of their creative life force energy into their business? Like where are the models and the templates of extraordinary success that also come with balance and time off and real presence in the way of being a parent. And for those of us who are married or in partnership, devotional partnership, where are the templates for that? And that really became my living prayer and inquiry and has been so much of what has driven me personally and professionally over the last three and a bit years. So as you mentioned, I have two under three and a half right now, and it will be three under three and a half in a couple months when I birth my third baby into the world. So that is what we do. I have a membership. I have in-depth one-year program that's like an all-access program. I run Mastermind. So I serve mothers in business at really all stages and seasons from preconception in their motherhood journey, but just knowing they want that to moms of eight plus children, women who are at the brand new stages of business and women who are already making multiple seven figures. We have all the range and all the spectrum in our community. And I just feel so proud of what we're doing and the way that we're contributing to the industry, but really women in business at large and the templates of possibility that my brand really stands for and is supporting in the world. I am so in awe of the template you created. How do you have so much capacity? How did you create this template? And I also see that when someone triggers that side of me, I'm like, oh my God, they're such an expander of what is possible for us moms. And you're helping us see a new side of things. How did you create this template? I saw you were mentioning that your first year of motherhood is the first year that you hit a million. And I look at my first year of motherhood and I'm like, wow, it was such a journey and so much ups and downs. I'm so curious, how did you build this template? Who were you leaning on for mentorship? What was that first year of motherhood like for you? And how did it expand your business so much? Yeah, I ran a free training over the summer called Matriarch, where I actually unpacked this in a lot of detail in the second day of that training. And I think that one of the great lies and illusions and one of my personal pet peeves of the online world and the entrepreneurial world is really the myth of being self-made. I get why people use that term and it's like, okay, I didn't have outside investment funding. And I think it's beautiful that we all celebrate our growth and successes. There's nobody who's going to tell you to like, sing your wins from the rooftop louder than me. And I feel like it is a real disservice to ourselves and to women everywhere when we t 
talk about being self-made because one thing that is absolutely true for me, and frankly, the reason that I am able to run a big business and live a big life and a really rich life, like we just hosted the most epic Christmas party this weekend and have an amazing community of friends and are able to be super freaking glamorous. The party was great Gatsby themed. So everybody was in there like glitz and glam, 1920s, whatever. And then go out the next morning and collect eggs from our chickens and just like have this full range experience because of support in both life and in business. And so the short answer, how are you able to do this, is that I have prioritized from before becoming a mother, but certainly since I've really doubled down on support. I like to think about support in four different categories. In business, there's head, heart, and hands. And then at home, there is home support. So head, heart, hands, and home. This is the framework that I teach my clients. And really looking at inside of the company, where are we resourcing ourselves? And inside of our lives, where are we resourcing ourselves with support on all of those different fronts that supports us as a woman, as a leader, as a mentor, as a soul and a spirit, first and foremost, as a strategist, as a decision maker, as a business leader, and then as an executor, somebody who wants to get stuff done. Like we need head, heart, and hands to help us in all of those areas inside of our business. And I was very diligent about putting those in place. One of the things that even from back in my Bali days, Corey, a lot of My business really grew in Bali because while I have that like spiritual side of myself and have a yoga teaching background and all of that that brings a lot of like-minded folks to Bali, I also have a very like rigorous academic and athletic background. I'm a very grounded person. And so the ability to stretch between the worlds has always been a strength of mine. And so somebody reflected this back to me this morning, who's been like a client of mine forever. And she said to me, Kate, one thing I've always admired about you is that even in your early years, like you ran a company, you weren't just like selling coaching programs, you really built a company. And that is true. And So I think for me, I was in a place while on an identity level, I was like completely dying and being reborn as a mother. And in that first year of motherhood, I also had a foundational structure and system and support network in place that allowed me to undergo that identity metamorphosis while not needing to figure out how to have a team at the same time. Wow. And then you've helped people generate over 20 million just with your coaching and your support and your community. What are some of the biggest shifts that you see moms making? Because yeah, like I see some moms were like just starting out small and figuring it out. What are some of the biggest shifts that you have given them to step into what you do, which you said is like stretching in between both worlds? Yeah, I think that number even needs to be updated. I think it's probably (laughs) upwards of 25 at this point. But there's so many shifts. There's the internal inner work shifts, which yields external shifts. Some of the biggest areas are business model, the way that we structure our time, the way that we structure our offers, the way that my clients are looking at basically simplifying, Corey, and not making shit so complicated. I Mm. think that (laughs) I say this a lot, and it seems maybe paradoxical, but 
It is amazing. I don't know if this was your experience, but when we don't have kids, we sort of have the luxury of overcomplicating shit. But mm. when there are small humans to take care <laughs> of and a limited number of childcare hours or a limited number of working hours, depending on how you ch- every person chooses to treat childcare and minding our own children and whatnot, there's just no time for excess. There's no time for inefficiencies. And so some of the major areas that I see having a dramatic impact on mothers is when we do the inner work and when we clean up like the inner beliefs, the energetic habits, there is an extraordinary amount of energy that becomes available to clean up the external areas of the business. So whether that is the business model, the way that we're selling operational efficiencies inside of the company and that inherently lets us drive bigger results. I really resonate with that. Before becoming a mother, we have so much time and so much space to try it all and do it all and to hold it all. So I started a retreat company and I was just managing every piece of it and didn't want to let anything go. And then when I became pregnant, I was like, I can't hold all this, nor do I want to. And now my partner entirely runs our company and has a team supporting and helping And it's grown so much since. And with me, I've gotten just what you said, so much more simplified in my vision and what I want and just so much more clarity. Your time has to be so precise and so intentional. So I really resonate with that. It's so true. I remember thinking you almost have the luxury of overthinking or just taking extra long with stuff to stretch out uh, the period of time that you have available. But it's like, okay, now if we had a couple things to get done over the course of a day and that might take all day versus, all right, I've got 45 minutes when I know my kid is asleep. Mm. It's amazing how much you can just actually (laughs) bang it out. Mm. So speaking of that, what is your boundaries and time blocking? Like when are you working? When are you off work? How do you set that up for your days and for your family and for your life? Yeah. So as I said to you, when we started, I've got a hard stop at four because our nanny She actually went home early today, but um, my husband is watching. If the kids wake up from their nap early, he's going to be minding them. But I told him I'd be available at four. So I have a nanny who comes four days a week, eight until four. uh, And then on Fridays, she's here until one. And so nearly full time. What is that? 37 hours a week. I'm not working that whole time. I work anywhere between... 20 and 25 hours per week. And that's everything. That's not just Zoom calls. And then I'm doing stuff at all edges of the day. That's total hours of work. So between client calls, podcast interviews, team correspondence, content creation, all of it all up. And talking with mothers about having support is one of the major areas that I help moms with, both from the internal like mom guilt perspective, but also the practicalities, because so many moms that I know have the mental framework of, well, if I am not working, I should be with my kids. But for me, there's like, where am I allocating time to take a shower? Where am I allocating time to exercise? Where am I allocating time to, God forbid, go get my nails done or whatever the thing may be? And it's really important that we think about the time that we're not working. How are we taking care of ourselves? Yeah. I'm so curious how you do it because I feel like living in Bali, which you know so much about, it's so easy to access so much wellness and self-care and people can just come to our house and do our nails and give us massages when the baby's napping. 
I'm curious what it's like for you with your wellness practices, your routine, taking care of yourself. When do you fit that in and what does it look like? It really depends on the day-to-day. So for me, the way I structure my day is, or my week rather, so Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the days that I typically take calls. We just so happen to be doing this on a Monday. It is extremely rare that I will take calls on a Monday. I took last week off to go away on a retreat and I'm taking next week off. I was on vacation with my family for 10 days a couple weeks ago. So this week is just packed right before the holidays with calls, but that is a rare exception. But my normal like rhythm for structuring my weeks is Mondays are open days. And so those days are completely free of any kind of calls, internal calls, external calls. That's really my day to work on like needle moving tasks inside of the business that are not urgent, but are important. So bigger picture, like brand initiatives, even just like general, like thinking that is my big picture sort of concept work happens on Mondays but it's pretty leisurely. And I find that there's so many areas of my life that I've had to dial in and get like hyper systematized and specific around. But I've also found as a mom, and and that has obviously served me so, so well, but I've also found that having a day every week where I can be really responsive to my body's needs at the time, especially being pregnant right now, has been so, so helpful. So there are some days that I might like well, let me say this. Every day I get my kids up around 6.45. My husband and I like share the morning routine and ritual. It is such a beautiful ritual. We make like a big farm breakfast every single morning. We're with our kids from the time we get them up around 6.45 until our nanny gets here at eight. We're usually still finishing our family breakfast around eight. And then she helps us start to tidy up and transition around like 8 15 8 30 but then I'll either go out on a walk or do some sort of exercise straight away or I'll go up and have a shower and start to slowly transition into my day I don't typically take any calls before 10 a.m so usually after I have a shower and get ready I'm not in a season right now of a lot of like rigorous super sweaty exercise but I do love to walk And so I will find an hour in my day, 45 minutes, an hour to go on a walk. And I usually chunk that with some sort of like Voxer or responsive coaching. But unless I really feel the call to like, I need to clear my head and start the day with that. I usually will do that at some point in the afternoon. I really like diving into more of those like higher executive function thinking projects first thing in the morning. And that's just my personal preference. And also it's really important for me to safeguard like those early, early, early hours of the day for family. But then those earlier hours, even before I start coaching with like enough time to get ready, but also time to dive into some stuff for me and for the business before giving it to clients. Mm. So that works really well for me. And then I've structured my time so many different ways, Corey. I've really experimented Mm. and I would encourage everybody to do that and see what works for you because what I'm describing now, you might like totally hate, but I like to chunk all my calls on the same days and I won't do more than five in a day because that gets really tiring, but I really like to do like a five call day and a five call day and then have the rest of the week without calls. Maybe there's like an internal call on a Thursday or something like that, but I prefer to have that. And all of my calls are 50 minutes. Like I don't do one hour coaching. Typically there are exceptions to that, but all my masterminds, 
and my private coaching clients, the packages that include one-to-ones with me, they are five, zero, 50 minutes, not 60. And that lets me like get a drink, go pee, mm. get a granola bar or whatever in between calls so that I can do two calls back to back, even at, you know, in my third trimester of pregnancy without needing to take a break. I have done like, I need a minimum one hour break in between. But I found that I couldn't get a lot of like needle moving tasks done in that one hour in between. So it ended up being a lot of dead time for me. So I really like this scheduling breakdown because it allows me like when I'm on a coaching call day, I am like in the freaking zone as a coach. (laughs) And then when I am doing like content or I'm like batching podcast episodes or I'm doing another work related project, I can really be in that project. Or when I'm just like, I'm not working today. I am like in full mom mode. I can be with my kids as opposed to thinking about constantly bifurcating and splitting my time and energy. Mm. I feel like you are such a powerhouse in how you (laughs) experiment and then land on what feels good and like really go all in. I know you're a manifester. I'm curious what your astrology is. I feel like you have such this like bold energy on how you create. I'm an Aquarius and my sun sign is Aquarius, but my Venus and many of my other houses are in Capricorn. <laughs> so I have a lot of Capricorn yeah. energy. Yeah, yeah. I can really And I'm feel an Aries that. rising. I can really feel the Capricorn in you. I love what you said about experimenting and trying different things. And I think that's a big part of motherhood and scheduling and working with our partners and working with support. What are some of the biggest bumps you've had? What have been some of the rawest parts that you've had to work through and then re-experiment on how you handle it? Yeah. Oh, man. So many. But the (laughs) biggest that comes to mind was probably an initiation that I went through postpartum with Jack, my second. And the transition from one to two, I've shared this often. On an identity level, the biggest transition was obviously going from maiden to mother. But on a business level the biggest transition I had was going from one to two because I feel like the analogy I've shared before is that when you have one kid and you have to figure out how to rejig things, it's okay, you can get a nanny or get some kind of childcare, work out some kind of situation with your partner. You have another human to take care of, but it's sort of like when you're bringing all the groceries in from the car and you're like, can I grab one more bag? Yeah, sure, I can take it in. It's awkward, but I can handle it. This was the analogy that makes the most sense. Having your second is somebody placing just one more heavy bag in your arms and everything bottoming out and being like, no, we need to fundamentally repack the way we're doing this. Like, this isn't just, oh, we can add like one more thing and figure it out. This is, we need a wholesale restructure. And that was definitely the case for me and was my biggest learning in having two under two. And when I was postpartum with Jack, it just so happens that I didn't know this at the time. We didn't know this at the time, but Toby had just gotten Lyme disease and he is thankfully now in remission from that. And we're so blessed that he has made a full recovery. But one thing that I think can happen for postpartum parents is that there can often be a bit of an exhaustion battle. And you can start to see in your partnership because everyone is sleep deprived, because there is a toddler to take care of as well as a newborn. There's just such an opportunity for friction in the partnership and rippling out, therefore, in the family. So what we experienced, what I experienced was like a ton of resentment for Toby being 
who is normally like an extremely hands-on, massively supportive partner, he was just like energetically zapped. And I was pissed, Corey. I was like, you are not the one with someone sucking on your tits at all hour of the day. You are sleeping in another bedroom. I co-slept with Jack until he was about eight or nine months. And Toby slept in our guest bedroom because with Ella, she transitioned to a bottle and we did pumped milk with her because she wouldn't take my breasts. And I just decided to exclusively pump. So we would split night duties because it was giving her a bottle so he could do that. And he would have been available for that. But Jack was like, nope, only want booby. And so there was really nothing that Toby could do. So I was happy enough to take care of him during the night. But I was annoyed that when I would wake up, I was like, How'd you sleep, babe? And he's like, oh, I'm exhausted. And I was like, I am going to kill you because I'm like, you don't know the meaning of exhaustion. And I think that this is a trap that a lot of couples can get in, like the exhaustion battles of who is more depleted, whose needs aren't getting met enough. And anyway, when we got the answers of him having Lyme disease, I was like, I could access more compassion, but it was a real initiation for us as a couple to look at not falling into those patterns and not like defaulting to seeing your partner as the enemy when you're going through a mutually challenging thing and to look at, well, how do we support each other to both get our needs met? How do we not use the little life force that we have to be pissed at each other? How do we use that to move the family forward and move ourselves forward and take care of ourselves as opposed to being resentful. And so that was a real, it was truly like a healing crisis and opportunity for both of us on an individual level, but definitely on a family level. And it's been so beautiful to see how we have approached this pregnancy. And I'm not obviously in the postpartum window yet, but I know that it's going to be very different, not just because Toby is physically well now, but because we have this awareness of the trap that is the exhaustion battle and like using that as a fighting point in relationship and really so much more of a collaborative lens of what does the whole family ecosystem need and what are the individual constituents and us as the heads of the household, like him as the father, me as the mother, like what do we both individually need? That was definitely like one of the hardest points to that I've gone through and one of the most beautiful to really develop a new template for thriving as not just a mother, but in partnership as well. I can so imagine that spot and I so know those moments. I also co-sleep. My little one's going to be two in Feb and him and I co-sleep and still breastfeed on demand and breastfeed all night and my partner sleeps in the other room. And sometimes when he's tired, I just have no face for it sometimes. I'm like, how could you be tired? And I've also had to really work on that spot within myself and realize that they're also going through their own thing and their own journey and the weight that dads hold and what they do. So yeah, I just, I really know that spot. What are some of the things that you and your partner shifted in your guys' templates as you prepare for three? What are some of those conversations and plan to support both of you and the entire family ecosystem? Yeah. So I think the first is just like cultivating compassion. So him saying I'm tired doesn't mean that I don't get to be tired. And me saying I'm tired doesn't mean that he doesn't have space to feel shitty in his body if that's what he's feeling. But it's really being so radical and clear about our individual needs and then approaching 
each other from the spirit of this person wants to see me win. This person wants Mm -hmm. to see me supported as opposed to having this mindset of there's only so much well-being to go around. There's so much rest. There's only so much like each person having enough white space to work. There's only so much ability for social connection or whatever. And really not seeing one's individual like deficiency of the moment, meaning that the other person is winning and I'm losing. So it really does start with an internal mindset shift. But some of the practical ways then we've shifted that are like, how do I, babe, support you to get what you need? And how do you, and that doesn't mean being a martyr and like doing it for you, but like, how can we collectively as a family ensure that you're getting what you need? And so maybe that is making the ask of like my mom or dad to come over and help. Maybe it's asking our nanny to stay later. Again, so much of it comes back to widening the base of support. So whether that is friends, family, it's funny. And this is like a very specific example, Corey, but it's so funny for me to see the progression from pregnancy one, two, three. For pregnancy one, I I don't know if you're familiar or if you guys do this in Bali. And I know Bali is different because like help is super cheap and like food is super cheap. But in the States, we have something called meal train, which is like your people can set up a meal train for you. And that means like they sign up for a day to drop food off or whatever. And I had a lot of guilt around Mm. setting one up for my first because I was like, well, it was COVID. And I was like, well, we don't really need it. We can afford to buy food. So blah, blah, blah. And with the second, I was like, yep, my friend can (laughs) set one up for me. That's totally fine. And with my third, I'm like, I created one for myself. Like four months early, I was like hyper specific. I'm like, make it organic grass-fed meat. I'm just like so specific. And I'm going to send it to everybody I know. Because one thing that I know to be true about thriving in motherhood with multiple children, with a big life, is that you must get comfortable with receiving and widen the base of support. And so expanding my aperture to receive more and to anticipate needs is so connected to making sure that we don't get into that cycle again. And I think that a lot of couples struggle because we have such a broken nuclear family model where it's literally impossible for everyone to get their needs met in that intense postpartum period time when you are just doing it in an insular environment. We were not meant to raise children that way. Mm. Yeah, I really feel that. And yeah, living in Bali, it is really easy to have support and to have people around you. And I do see in America, it takes more navigating and planning. And I love that you set up a meal train. And I also love your boldness because I would feel the same way. I'd be like, would my friends want to contribute? And I really love your boldness. And this is what I need, grass-fed, organic. And I feel like that really reflects your capacity to ask and to receive because I feel like we can't really receive if we're not also able to really clearly ask. And I feel like that's a big point for a lot of women about not being able to ask for the exact thing. Yeah. And I think that this is one of the things that we just need to let go. And it's the remnants of the toxic martyr culture of superwoman Mm -hmm. culture. And I get that projection a lot of, Kate, you're superwoman. You've got, you're going to have three kids under three. You run a multi-million dollar business. You homestead. You have a really rich and, and alive friendship group and social life. And like, how do you do it? Or it must be, impo- and it's the only way that it, I could possibly, it's not because I have this like self-made superwoman gene. It's because I am like so devoted 
to receiving support so that I have not just like the bandwidth to do it all and arrive at the end of the day in one piece, but so that I am truly living my life and running my business from an energy of overflow. Because the goal isn't just, can I expand my capacity to do more? It's like, can I expand my capacity to experience more richness and fullness and also feel rested and fulfilled and happy? And that really requires like shedding the template of I got to do it all alone or I have to prove myself. Yeah. So I am so excited to just lean on my community. And the other thing that I know to be true and the more moms that mom friends that I have and family friends that we've created and built and other couple friends with kids and mom friends with kids. It's like, I know the blessing it is for me as a mother to be able to pour in and love on my friends who are in that period. So why would I rob the people that are in my life that I'm trying to deepen in intimacy with and connection with and like real actual friendship with, why would I deny them the opportunity to support me and love me when I know that they want to? And so I think that's another mindset piece that we have to remove is remembering that like intimacy is not hyper independent. Intimacy is about interdependence. Like for me, that looks like knowing, yeah, I can afford food. Like I'm a multimillionaire. Like I don't need a meal train but I desire one and I desire Mm -hmm. the connection and closeness and community and feeling of like part of a web of life. And that doesn't just bless my family, but that blesses like all the people that get to know that they mean something to us. I really see how that creates connection and community and other people being able to give and gift to you and how meaningful that is to them too. Because postpartum isn't something we're meant to do alone. It's something that we're meant to do in community with other people, with nourishing care from everyone around us. So, A hundred percent. I really see that. Okay. So I see you talking about not just receiving money and building wealth in this moment, but creating a legacy and creating investments and exponentially growing what you've created. So I'm curious, just the future of of your business, the future of your family, the future of your legacy, what is it that you're wanting to build? What is it that you have as a vision for your family, for your company, for your wealth? The future of my business is really continuing to do what we're doing, obviously like growing and scaling in numbers of women that we're serving, numbers of listeners and people that we're reaching with the work that we're doing. And as a result of that, obviously numbers of dollars coming in. But for me, the biggest expansion area in the last, I would say, year to year and a half has really been getting out of the sort of online coaching trap of revenue per month or even revenue per year and thinking and acting more like a person that has wealth and is concerned with the bigger, longer-term gain. And before I made a million dollars, I was like, oh my God, like the best thing in the world will be to like, can you even imagine having a million dollars in the bank? And then when I had a million dollars in the bank, I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. That is like (laughs) the worst place to have your money. And so really looking at not just diversifying investments, but like where do wealthy people put their money? What do wealthy people do with their money? They sure as hell don't have it sitting in a freaking checking account. And so, yeah, we have our primary places of investment over the last couple of years have been in property. We have a hundred acre property, pristine, beautiful bushland with a waterfront 
in Australia. And we also own our property here in Maine, which is a 12 acre homestead in rural Maine outside of Portland. And pouring into those properties, developing them. We have some rental cabins on our property in Australia. We do some different things on our property here in Maine, but we did a huge renovation on it, which costs money, but also doubled the value of our home. And so just really starting to think about what are we doing? Yes, it's important in the online business world. And I'm so passionate about helping women who run businesses learn how to generate more income and make more money. But I'm equally and increasingly as passionate about helping women think about, and this is really what I do in like my higher level containers, think about and make plans for. Now, obviously I'm not a financial advisor, but look at, well, what are we doing with our money once we have it? So there's really two parts of the conversation and it's expanding beyond just how do I have like consistent 100K months? Yeah, okay, cool. That's important. But if you're just like pissing it away on Chanel bags to feel relevant (laughs) on Instagram, that's not a good idea. And I feel like there's a lot of maiden-dominated culture that is like the more we can flex a rich lifestyle, the more we've made it. But that is not a legacy. And again, no shade if that is what makes you feel amazing. Like, great, go do that. But that's just a very different conversation than the one I'm having. I really see that culture being really prevalent right now where people really are building up wealth and showing it and buying expensive things. But I agree with you. It's what do you want your future to look like? What are you building up for your family? What are you building up for a legacy? And don't get me wrong. I have a couple of Chanel bags. I like wear a $30,000 watch. I love nice things, but I was so intentional about those purchases. And I would not do that at the cost of making other investments. That is definitely a luxury and it's definitely a beautiful, intentional choice. And That's not at the expense of actively planning for a succession, like legacy trust for my family. Mm. If there is one thing you could leave for mamas listening or soon to be mamas listening who want to have this expansion, this expansion in, in business and in their life and in their relationship, what is one thing that you would leave them? The biggest thing that's coming to mind is widen your base of support. There is literally no such thing as too much support. And meet and face off with all of the parts of yourself that feel guilt around spending money on support, of investing in support, whether it is in your home, whether it is in a mastermind, whether it is in a mentor, all of the ways that we try to skimp and save and say, well, maybe I should just save it for a kitchen renovation that we want to do. Maybe I should pour it into the kids. Like a well-supported mama is the foundation for everything in your family, in your marriage, in your business. So widen your base of support and be really unapologetic about it. Mm, Thank you. I hope. Mamas listening are so much more able, willing, inspired to truly have that foundation because I believe that foundation literally lets us do everything else that we want to do and to create and to build and to really see our dreams come to life. Thank you so much, Kate, for all of the wisdom, everything that you poured into us. Is there anything else you want to leave with everyone? We'll share all the links for everything. 
I feel like that widen the base of support is really the mic drop. It is just so, so important. And if you are wanting more of that support and wanting to know where to look, I would be so happy to support you. As you mentioned, Corey, I run a monthly membership called The Village, which has hundreds of incredible mothers and aspiring mother entrepreneurs from all over the world where I share daily Monday through Friday exclusive content and coaching wisdom and medicine around a particular topic and theme. This month is visible December. So we're really diving into all of the blocks around visibility and moving through them. And it's so freaking epic to see the momentum that happens when women are concentrated on a particular goal every month. Like we have women signing their biggest clients, growing their audiences by thousands, like becoming best-selling authors. There's just so much growth and momentum that happens when we get in the room. So the village is a great place to plug in. And then I have my annual program called the Millionaire Mother Experience, which is really my all-access container that gives you live coaching with me twice a month, a small group pod to really dive in with one of our incredible support coaches, and then access to the top, truly the top of the top uh, mother entrepreneurs in their field. Um, We have a guest that comes in. So there's four live coaching calls a month and access to my entire offer suite. So it's just, it is such a power packed program. And we have a really incredible group of ambitious mamas in there. So if if you're wanting to go deeper, that is where I would recommend plugging in and just follow along on the podcast. I also run a podcast called the Millionaire Mother Podcast, which is epic. There's solo episodes. There's incredible trainings. We have over 200 episodes recorded. So that's a great place to plug in for free as well if you want to get a little bit more of a flavor. Mm, I highly recommend listening. There are some amazing episodes on there. And I feel like you just really are able to give and pour out so much to everyone who is in your field. So thank you so much, Kate. I cannot wait to hear how things go with the next little one and how that creates a new level of expansion and growth and bumps and ups and downs and just all of it. And just thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and really teaching moms to be able to receive more and ask for more and have that foundation and have support. And you are just changing the lives of so many. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll chat again soon. All right, Mama, thank you for tuning in. I am sending you so much support and love on your journey through motherhood. Remember, you are not alone in this beautiful, wild, and sometimes challenging journey of motherhood. This is your village. Please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share this with anyone else that you think would benefit. Take care, Mama, and I will see you next week. Thank you for being part of the Mama Culture.